Welcome back to the Winter War Podcast with me, your host, Des Latham. This is episode 7, and I'm covering the first week of January 1940. The Russian invasion of Finland has stalled as their mechanized units find the defenders extremely motivated, and the use of various innovations, such as the Molotov cocktail and the Motti attack system, have stymied Moscow's Grand Red Army. Instead of flooding over the border and seizing Finland in days, the Russians have already lost thousands of men and they've been stopped dead in their tracks, both in the crucial Karelian Isthmus battlefront and further north of Lake Ladoga around Sumosalmi. They'd also come to a frozen halt in the far north, near the Arctic Sea, as minus 40 degrees centigrade temperatures stunned the Russian troops. So it is with Sumosalmi that we start, where the Soviet 44th Division was to face imminent destruction. Colonel Halmar Shilashbo, who commanded the Finnish 9th Division Regiment with the codename JR-27, was facing the Russian 44th Division led by Alexei Ivanovich Venegradov. Silas Vro was a veteran of World War I Yager Battalion, the son of a newspaper editor. He was also going to become known as one of the Finns' master tacticians. Venegradov, on the other hand, was not a master tactician, as you're going to hear. Silas Vro's intention was to ambush the 44th as it approached to Masalmi along the main route from Rate, then to break it into pockets, isolate each of the pockets, and destroy them one by one. This was the Moti system, the chopping up of bundles of firewood. Two task forces were ready by New Year's Eve and moved into position along the ice road. The Finns had cut in secret to the south of the main Arati to Sumasalmi route. One of these task forces was led by Major Kari, the other by Colonel Farganas. Kari took up his position near a town called Makala and Farganas near Heikila. A third raiding detachment was also on the move, traversing a tiny wagon track near Arati, stopping at the village of Vanka. The Finns had already destroyed the Russian 163rd Division on the Jantusranta Road as the Red Army tried to flee back to their homeland, leaving 5,000 bodies littering the snow-covered road. That was a sign of things to come. Captain Makinin had shut down the Rati Road during the last week of December, and the 44th had come to a grinding halt just past that town. Its commanders virtually blind the forest was so thick, and worse, they were surrounded but had no idea about how critical their situation was. 44th Commander Venogradov was in a funk. He was immobile and had no information. The Russians didn't have a clue about how many Finns were facing them. While his air force tried to bomb the Finns during daylight hours, they'd missed most of the time because the Finns were hidden beneath the trees. And then the attacks by raiders on skis had shaken up the Russians, and Vinogradov was further confused by these assaults. It appeared the Finns had thousands of men deployed but what was happening is a few hundred were skiing from Moti to Moti, giving their appearance of high numbers. The real cutting up of the 44th began on the night of the 1st of January, when the 1st Battalion of the JR-27 Division advanced to within three kilometres east of Makinen's roadblock. Before attacking, the Finns sat down to a hot meal, while their reconnaissance patrols went off to survey the enemy. The battalion commander by the name of Captain Lasila was fastidious. There was no rush. The Red Army was trapped and didn't appear to be doing anything about it, so Lucilla wanted his first strike to be both bloody and shocking. He set up his HQ on a ridge just under half a kilometre from the nearest Russian positions. Captain Lucilla's plan was simple. Two companies were to form up behind the ridge, then move out side by side. As they arrived at the road, one would turn east, the other west. They were to seize more than 400 metres of roadway, 
following which the combat engineers would deploy and lay landmines, cut down trees and push any of the destroyed Russian vehicles and equipment into quite effective roadblocks. A third company was waiting out of sight as reinforcements should anything go wrong. What was going to be terrifying for the enemy was the placement of 12 Maxim guns on the ridge overlooking this killing ground, while half a dozen artillery guns were also lined up and would be sowing carnage shortly. The two Finnish companies began their attack minutes after midnight, quietly killing the sentries who were only a few metres away from the road. Then the bulk of the men surged into the Russian positions. Vasile was going to get a lucky break. He believed he was assaulting an infantry division, but he was off course and actually hit a Russian artillery unit. That was fortunate, because the Russians were facing westward and he was attacking from the east. The artillery crews were taken out in seconds as the Finns opened up with these Suomi submachine guns while others lobbed grenades into their enemy. The Russians had a few trucks with four-barreled automatic flak guns. These opened up, but the Finns were too close and the rounds passed harmlessly over their heads. It took two hours of mopping up, but finally Lasila was in control of the road and his engineers went to work laying mines. At first light, a scene of carnage was revealed, but the Finns didn't have long to cast their eyes over their handiwork because the Russians counterattacked with tanks at 7am. The Finnish anti-aircraft Bofors, which had been retooled for use against tanks, were brought to bear, and they picked off seven of these lumbering beasts in a few minutes. The burning Russian tanks added volume to the Finnish roadblock. Counterattack stymied, Lasila's men were fed hot meals on sleds and a kind of macabre military takeaway. These had been painstakingly prepared in tents hidden away behind the ridge. His soldiers were rotated for the next few hours, thawing out and drinking coffee away from the front line, catching a few hours of precious sleep and then going back. It was partly these few comforts compared to the Russians lying in the snow, eating cold meals, terrified of being killed in the night by the Finns on their silent skis, that increased the Finnish soldiers' morale. The Rati Road also developed a name when it came to Finnish snipers. They were called cuckoos by the Russians because of their ability to stay hidden, shrouded in the snow camouflage, tied high in the trees. They became notorious for their skill in single-shot kills. They didn't miss very often. One shot from a sniper could lead to an entire Russian company firing in response, along with its tanks, its guns and its mortars. Sometimes these counter-barrages that were conducted basically in terror carried on for 15 minutes. I'll cover one of these snipers in full next episode, the legendary Finnish sniper Simo Haya, nicknamed the White Death. He would see his first battle on the Kalai Front, part of the Karelian Isthmus battlefield. He is credited with at least 500 confirmed kills during the war, according to Finnish military records. So, 17,000 Soviet troops were now trapped along the Rati Road, and they began to run out of food. Frostbite was endemic. It was 35 degrees Celsius, below zero, and the Soviet Air Force found it almost impossible to supply these groups. During this phase, they managed to drop only six small bags of biscuits, for around 17,000, from three small spotter planes. On January 2nd, Lasila's western roadblock on the Rati Road came under attack, but the Russians received heavy flanking fire from the trees south of this road, and the assault failed. Vinogradov was to pay for these errors with his life as you'll hear at the end of this podcast. He had failed to try to storm the Finns from two directions, which meant they could switch their artillery, mortar and machine gun fire based on the Russians' alternative attacks. Had the Russian commander attacked from both sides simultaneously, that would have been another matter altogether. 
Back in the eastern sector, 3rd Battalion from JR-27 targeted Russians alongside a farm called Haokila. The Red Army troops fought like tigers here, refusing to give an inch, and the Finns called off their assault. They targeted the soup kitchens instead, now that their mortars were closer, and knocked out at least three. It took three more days of hard fighting to the south of the Rati Road, but by January 4th, Task Force Kari had managed to hold off the Russians near Lake Kokojavi. The Red Army was attempting an outflanking manoeuvre here. On the same day, a task force under Colonel Makinyimi that included the ski unit P-1, along with a battalion from JR-65 and another JR-27 group, headed off to hit the Moti that was marooned alongside Haukila Farm on the main road. If you check Google Earth, you'll see this position is almost halfway between Rati and Sumasami. Makinyimi's force took six guns along with him, while Colonel Mandolin took two battalions from JR-65 and assaulted Haukila from the north. Simultaneously, Task Force Kari conducted short, sharp flanking attacks on the Russians near Kokojavi. These offensives began on January 5th, but all failed, with the Russians stoutly defending their positions. In one case, at Kokojavi, deploying their guns using open sights, the Finns were so close. Despite the Finns accounting for themselves well and the Russians defending like mad, it was attrition that might have swung this battle in favour of the invaders. The Finns were losing around 10% of their units daily, and this went on for four days. Lasila's battalion had lost 96 men in six hours. Lasila sent a message to his commanding officer, Colonel Makinyemi, saying he wanted his battalions to withdraw in order to recover. The request was flatly rejected. In fact, Makinyemi told Lasila if he retreated, he would be court-martialed and shot. Instead, Task Force Kari had another go at the Russians skulking alongside Lake Kokojavi, but was stopped 250 metres from the defenders' positions. Of all the Finnish attacks, it was Colonel Farganas who was proving to be the most effective in his operational area further south of the Rati Road. His initial orders involved blowing up the important main bridge at Purasjoki, but it was too well defended, so Farganas requested reinforcements. It was clear now to Sierras Vuo just how critically important it was to destroy the bridge, so he dispatched a company of reserves. Thus, reinforced, Farganas promptly ambushed a truck convoy that was approaching the bridge, killing an entire company of NKVD troops that had only just arrived from Russia. NKVD stood for the People's Commissariat for Internal Affairs, and had undertaken mass extrajudicial executions of citizens and conceived, populated and administered the gulag system of forced labor camps. Their agents were responsible for the repression of the wealthier peasantry across Ukraine, Belarusia and inside Russia itself. It was a form of poetic justice then that this entire section of NKVD was taken out inside Finland. By the way, the NKVD morphed into the Russian Ministry of Internal Affairs, or MVD, an agency which still operates inside Russia. Its focus these days is drugs control and immigration, and it's this agency that is presumed to be behind the recent Russian tactic of sending thousands of Middle Eastern and African migrants to the Finnish border in an attempt to destabilize the territory. The Finns have closed their border. Back to our story. So, the Finns managed to blow up Purashjoki Bridge, and Russia's invasion here was stopped. Other task forces were still hard at work trying to push the Russians back, including Task Force Mandolin, who had blocked the secondary Puras Road between Sumashami and Rati. The Russians now resorted to an odd tactic, and one which sickened the Finns who watched. Vinogradov 
ordered that their pack horses be driven over the minefields to create a route for his troops to attack. All this did was kill off their horses, which were now also turning into their main source of food, and it re-motivated the Finns, who are regarded as animal-loving. The Russians in this sector were in big trouble. By the 6th of January, they were beginning to run out of ammunition and food. Makiniemi felt they were likely to crack, and early the next morning at 2am, the Finns counterattacked once more, and this time the Red Army panicked and were routed. By the evening of January 6th, it was clear that the 44th Division was collapsing across a broad front. It had been hacked into small pieces along the roads. The Red Army troops inside these mortis were breaking down. The Finns kept up their harassment, hitting a hamlet near Rati village itself, which is only a few kilometres from the Soviet border. It was no surprise that on the evening of the 6th, Vinogradov gave an order that was pretty much every man for himself. The order was futile. The collapse of the 44th had started 24 hours earlier. All Vinogradov was doing was legalizing the chaotic retreat. By January 8th, the full extent of the Finnish victory was apparent. Some reports indicated that even the battle-hardened Finns were shaken by what they saw. More than 27,500 Russian troops had died in the few days around Sumosalmi, along the roads, either during the battles or being hunted down individually or dying from exposure. 43 tanks were destroyed along with hundreds of other vehicles and trucks, tractors, bulldozers. The Finns seized nearly 50 guns from the fleeing Russians along with 600 rifles, 300 machine guns, mortars and some tanks. In turn, the Finns lost 900 dead and 1,770 wounded. They also took 1,300 Russians prisoner. This war sums up a few things, things we are seeing again in Ukraine. All that the Russians appeared to be doing here in Finland in 1940 was converting the Finns from being former allies, or at least neutral, to implacable, historic and eternal enemies. Like Ukrainians, who from now on will continue to fight to the bitter end, whatever Vladimir Putin says from his 30-foot-long white table and during his four-hour narcissistic televised briefing sessions. So, as the Suomasalmi front fighting wound down, what of the 163rd and 44th's commanders? Major General Andrei Ivanovich Zelensov of the 163rd disappeared, only to pop up later as the commander of Archangel Military District. The Finns thought he'd copped it after he donned an enlisted man's uniform and then was likely to have died in the woods like thousands of others. Apparently not. According to Russian military records, he died in action outside Archangel fighting the Germans in 1941. However, General Vinogradov of the 44th was going to find his treatment somewhat more final and public. The Stavka took a very jaundiced view of his lack of action and his failure to assist the 163rd, which had been cut off in Sumasalmi, if you remember. Vinogradov had hidden in a tank and made his escape as his men died around him. But as he crossed the border back into Russia in early January 1940, he was arrested by the feared NKVD. It only took a few hours for him to be found guilty during a summary court-martial, marched into the nearby woods, where he was joined by three fellow officers from the doomed 44th Division. They weren't alone. The remnants of the 44th, the men who'd been so badly let down and who'd fought so ferociously, were lined up and watched as Vinogradov was shot by a firing squad. The official note in his now-closed file said he had been executed because of the loss of 55 field kitchens to the enemy. No mention of the 27,000 dead. By the way, he was posthumously rehabilitated by the Leningrad Military District in November 1990. 
The Russian defeat at Sumasalmi became what author William Trotter has called the paradigm of the qualities that made the Finnish soldier a legend. Why had the Stavka deployed half their available men and a quarter of their tanks in an attack on an area that was difficult to invade, and less important strategically than the Karelia Isthmus? The quick answer is because the Russians thought they'd overcome the tiny Finnish army in days, and then their men would be arraigned across Finland. While all of this was going on in the north, the Russians had discovered that they could no longer advance in the teeth of the howling gales of the Arctic in midwinter. They were also facing Finnish soldiers here who were well drilled in using firearms. Many were hunters and could hit a bear or a wolf from 1,000 meters. Furthermore, the Russian supply lines were stretching further and further. The average temperature was minus 35 degrees Celsius. Lows dropped to nearly minus 50. The frontier froze solid. 10,000 Soviet troops were immobilized between the Norwegian border and the harbor town of Petsamo. But there were some positive signs for the Russians. Just over 70 miles south of Sulmasalmi, in the center of Finland, the Soviet 9th Army was doing a lot better. Yeah, the 54th Division, which had attacked the town of Kumo, was being led by General Gusevsky, who was a different kettle of fish to the extremely poor Zelensov and Vinogradov. Gusevsky was going to face the victor of Sumasalmi, Shilashvo, and the latter was going to find the Russian more than able. By now, Gusevsky's 54th had made it to the outskirts of Kumo, heading westwards along two parallel roads and easily overcoming the Finnish defenders on the way. As you're going to hear next episode, the specially trained Siberian Ski Brigade was on its way and going to be deployed. Please head off to the website desmondlatham.blog for more details about this and my other shows. You can contact me there through an email. Send me a message. Until next, goodbye.